Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get started, we want to tell you about a podcast we think you might like. Axios Today helps you start your morning every day with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today hosts Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists, including Axios experts Jonathan Swan and Mike Allen, bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. These include the latest scoops from Washington and the election to reporting on systemic racism in America or China's growing influence. It's the perfect daily briefing to get the biggest stories of the day, especially when you're feeling overwhelmed by the news. Axios is the media company that helps you get smarter, faster, with concise reporting in their newsletters, podcasts, HBO show, and now a daily news podcast. Now onto the show. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps the 54% who did not vote for Donald Trump talk to those who did about the most divisive issues in our country. Ravi, let's start with news of the week. Well, Jason, it just occurred to me that this is going to be the last time our listeners hear from us uh, in all likelihood before we find out uh, who the next president of the United States is. Uh, or at least before the election. Before the election. Like we, hopefully we'll know yeah. who the president is by the time we get back on. And uh, we're six days out as we're recording this. And this race is closing on the issue that we knew it would, COVID. And as of yesterday, we have 75,000 new cases, uh, 983 deaths, uh, which is an increase of 39% of cases from two weeks prior. The president is closing, uh, as is his administration, Mark Meadows went on TV and the president has been uh, speaking at rallies, basically trying to downplay the virus. And even as cases are ticking up and, and ticking up in a lot of swing states like Wisconsin, president is doing things like going to Wisconsin, where he was in the Milwaukee suburbs this weekend, saying that the pandemic is, quote, winding down. And so uh, this race is going to be about the pandemic. And Biden has made that really clear in his closing arguments. Let's take a listen to this ad that Biden had. It's called Empty Chairs. And what you won't realize, listeners, in just hearing the audio is that Biden is narrating over a series of images from all around the country of just empty chairs in various settings around America. So let's listen on this, and then I want to get your perspective on this closing argument, Jason. 200,000 deaths because of the coronavirus all across this nation. There are empty chairs and dining room tables and kitchen tables that weeks and months ago were filled with a loved one, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister. Jason, is this a smart closing argument? 
I think it is really important to humanize these numbers. And, and it's exactly what he said. We can't allow them to become statistics. We can't allow them to become background noise. And I believe that that's something that Joe Biden feels really deeply. I mean, I've, I've talked before about the card that he carries in his pocket that has the most up-to-date numbers on American casualties uh, and, and killed in action uh, among American soldiers overseas. And I've been with him when he takes that card out and he talks about how he wants to make sure it's updated every day so that every time it's updated, he has to feel it. He has to think about who the person is. And that's important. I mean, it's why whenever a fellow veteran tells me about a soldier they lost, I ask the person's name. I don't let that just go through as a, as a detail in the story. I ask the name and then I say it out loud. Uh, we have to think about these people as, as people because that's, that's what they are. Yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, I come from a community in Staten Island that we lost a lot of people. We lost multiple teachers in my high school to COVID. And I think about this ad uh, and, and what Mike Murphy said when he was on a couple of weeks ago, where he said, you know, Trump, if you try to paint Trump as a COVID murderer, it, voters don't react well to that. And for a second, when I saw this ad, I was like, maybe this is playing into what Murphy was talking about. But then I thought about what's really going on here is Biden isn't even saying anything about Trump in this ad. What he's saying is, your lives matter to me, and I'm going to be presidential. I'm going to be big. And so I'm going to I'm gonna communicate in every possible way that I'm going to be the kind of president who takes these kind of threats seriously. And you could read into that whatever you want. If you think Trump is the COVID murderer that Murphy thinks that voters are not going to react well to, you could see what you want in this ad. But if you just think that Trump has been incompetent and not taking it seriously enough, you see that too. But also if you're somebody who just misses having a president sound like a president uh, and you have issues beyond COVID, you watch this ad and you're like, this this person sounds like a president to me in this ad. Yeah. I think one of the really important points that we can make or an important contrast that people can make in these last few days with their friends. And there are people who are still, like I was texting with a friend this morning who went to vote. The line was long. He's like, I'm going to go back, but he doesn't know which one he's voting for. I think a point to be made with someone like that is look at how they're closing and talking about COVID. You have an ad like this from Joe Biden, where he's embracing the idea that his job as president will be to solve this problem. And then the other side, you have President Trump, who is saying that as soon as we get to November 4th, you'll never hear about COVID. Now think about what that means. First, he's arguing that obviously that the Democrats are only talking about it to hurt him politically, right? Like I get that he's making that argument. But the other side of that coin is he's saying that if he wins, he's never going to talk about it after the election, <laughs> yeah. right? So you have one side that's saying, this is the problem I'm going in to solve first. And then the other side that's saying, this is over. It's not a problem. And I think that that is a really important distinction. Yeah. And ABC News, Washington Post came out with a poll this morning that had, and probably isn't this high, but had Trump down 17 in Wisconsin. And if you look beyond the numbers, He's minus 20 on who handles uh, the pandemic better, um, on his handling of the pandemic, his approval on the pandemic. And, and voters routinely name this as their number one issue. So if you are that underwater on the issue that matters most to voters, you're in huge trouble right now. Um, and the president seems to be treating this more as an inconvenience than as the mortal threat it is to our country. But at the same time that the candidates are making their closing arguments, the share of the vote that's up for grabs is shrinking. So as of today, 69.5 million Americans have voted either mailing in their ballots or showing up to early vote. Uh, this is about half the 2016 total amount of vote 
that we saw in that election. And in uh, in a lot of our battleground states, it's way higher as a vote share. So in Texas, 87% of the 2016 total has shown up already. Florida, two-thirds. Georgia, 71%. North Carolina, 72%. Jason, I know that this, you know, people like Dave Wasserman and smart observers say don't draw any conclusions from who's showing up. But I think we can draw some conclusions just in terms of the enthusiasm here. COVID plus the stakes of this election are telling us that this may be one of the highest turnouts in our lifetime. I really hope so. I mean, because it's also possible that because of COVID, a lot of people are going to vote early because they're worried about the safety of voting on election day. And so therefore, the election day turnout will be very, very low. That's possible. And so it could balance out. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Look, at this point, there's a couple of things we can talk about, right? One is what can you do productively in the next few days? And the next is what can you do for your mental health as everybody is super anxious about what's going to happen in a few days. And I actually think that they're married, those two questions. And that is that like, it's really hard to feel down and nervous and useful at the same time. So if you're feeling that way, spend some time texting or phone banking for a campaign or a candidate that you care about because you will derive value, a sense of value from that experience. It will make you feel better. It will make you feel useful. And in general, on a mental health, from a mental health perspective, I'll just be honest, like I've been super stressed uh, the last few days. And uh, I mean, heck, longer than the last few days. And and so I think it's important to acknowledge that the election is part of it, right? And and in my case, and I think in a, I don't think I'm unique in feeling like I have some agency here and therefore I feel some obligation and therefore my stress level increases uh, because I'm involved, right? But I actually think that the less involved you are, the more your stress level goes up. And so I just want to tell everybody, like, right now, if you're feeling confident about the election and you're feeling the momentum, as long as that doesn't keep you from helping don't deny yourself those feelings. Like feel the feelings is one of the best things that I learned in therapy at the VA. Like if you feel good, feel good. Because if we lose, believe me, there's going to be plenty of time to feel bad later. Uh, my election day in 2016, you know, I didn't win that election. It was really close and it was heartbreaking. But boy, my election day in 2016 was fantastic, right up until about 11 p.m. or so. And I'm really glad because we were winning, like all the polls said we were winning and all the metrics were good. I'm really glad that I let myself feel good that whole day because I had plenty of time afterwards to not feel good. So yeah, it feels like we're winning. So keep working really hard and enjoy that feeling for a few days. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and yesterday I was, you know, David Plouffe and, and Steve Schmidt, uh, you know, Obama's former campaign manager and, and McCain's former chief strategist, have a podcast together and Last night, I was having trouble sleeping and, and incredibly unhealthy practice, which is I just listen to things to try to go to sleep. And I was listening to their conversation with James Carville and Stuart Stevens. So we have two Democratic strategists and two Republican strategists who, who used to be who used to kill each other. And even within, like they all would fight each other even within their primaries. And they had this long conversation where they were just talking about how awesome it is that they're all working for the same cause right now. And Carville said something really interesting where he was basically castigating Democrats for being so jittery in these moments. And he said, look, like an advance, he said something to the effect of an advancing army has high morale and strong energy and a retreating army has the opposite. And he's like, we have to be the advancing army. We're winning. We need to act like we're winning. Uh, we need to have that kind of energy. And that doesn't mean you stop working, but we should have that kind of confidence. And I also caution people 
that these are really scary times. But there is going to be a feeling after this election. I do believe we're going to win uh, and we're all going to do our part. There's going to be a feeling after this election where you're going to actually miss being in the fight. So I would put the polls away. I cite polls just because of you listeners. I try not to look at them that often. Uh, I would put the polls away, put a lot of the articles away about this and that. Do your part. Enjoy it. Remember it. You know, Try to do the electoral work with other people, whether it's virtually or for those of you who are healthy and in environments where you actually can get out there in a, in a safe way. Just build some camaraderie, build some memories, and then you'll be able to look back with pride on what you did between now and the election. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one major news item of this week that probably won't affect the election too much, but certainly will affect the future of our country was the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, who, you know, was Judge Coney Barrett, now is Justice Coney Barrett. Mitch McConnell made a a really fascinating statement after this confirmation uh, that I want to play for listeners. Let's listen in on that. This is something to really be proud of and to feel good about. We made an important contribution to the future of this country. A lot of what we've done over the last four years will be undone sooner or later by the next election. They won't be able to do much about this for a long time to come. So I want to just say we've been blessed with some really wonderful enemies, Jason, in the sense that (laughs) they're just, they just try to be as evil as possible. Uh, Two notable things that I'm going to kick to you here. Number one, he seems to think that they're going to lose, seems to be saying that out loud. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. two is that he is just inviting us to reopen this conversation about court packing, which I know I'm just a broken record on this. And I just, I want to send this to Axe and be like, I want to keep having this discussion. I totally respect Murph and Axe and all, and everybody else who talks about the institution. But when one side is, is, you know, in a knife fight and the others in a gunfight, there's just, we can't continue this for much longer. Um, and he, he's saying the quiet part out loud here. Well, one thing is for sure. He is absolutely 100% positive that we will not have the stones to add justices to the court. I mean, that's, that is where he's coming from. Right. And I think, you know, I've sort of had a little bit of an evolution that the listeners have, have heard over the last few weeks on this, because I think your point about leverage is a really good one. And the fact that we could do that if we get the Senate and we have the White House could affect the way that the court approaches things. And and I also think Axe's point about not using all your political capital out on the gate, out of the gate on this is solid too. But we should also keep in mind that the probability just over history, you know, if you look at the empirical evidence of it, the probability is that we probably would not keep the Senate in 2022 if we win it, right? I mean, the the party out of power tends to do better, uh, particularly when the party in power has aggressively, you know, made a lot of change. And so just given that probability, you know, look, we'll work really hard to keep it. But given that probability, I just feel like we should do everything we can right away and spend that political capital while we have it. And that's everything from gun safety to public option to climate change. I mean, the list is super long, but I think making it so that the Supreme Court is not completely uh, rigged is one of those things. Yeah, I agree. And to be clear, I'm for D.C. statehood and and Puerto Rico given the option to join up. Of course. Uh, Not because of the, the power argument, because of the representation argument. 
and that could be they're americans yeah it's just totally yeah but it could be a side effect of that could be it could help pad a potential 2022 blow and to be clear that's not why i'm for it but it it could be a a i think it's perfectly reasonable to be in favor of having all americans represented and have one of the reasons be so that all americans are represented right right? like so (laughs) it's like it's like it's like hey i'm in favor of enfranchising a lot of disenfranchised people so that more american citizens get what they want i mean that's that's perfectly okay like if that is the reason that's okay because those people are americans and they overwhelmingly want progressive things to get done Let's talk about Quarantine Corner. This is an interesting week, given what you said, Jason, is that that we're all jittery. We're all just waiting for this election to happen. And that means that more than ever, we need good outlets for our time. Uh, What have you been spending your time on this week? I do like three or four Zooms a day, and two of them are for my day job at Veterans Community Project, usually, or for this podcast. And then, and then two of them are usually for uh, their their events, their quote unquote events for candidates or causes where I'm the headliner. <laughs> and uh, at first, this was like a real drag for a while. I have officially turned the corner and gone from Zoom fatigue to looking forward to Zooms. Uh, oh wow! Because. Well, just because I've come to settle for the idea that that's pretty much how I hang out with people now. Yeah. And uh, and that's how I get to see my friends and catch up with them. So I now look forward to Zooms. <laughs> yeah. One little trick I've learned on Zooms is that the more interactive you are, the better, even if you're a participant. And I've started to use the function where you could direct message people on the Zoom. And I just kind of send them notes, like, you know, like either if they say something interesting or if I just know them and it's not appropriate to say out loud, like, hey, I haven't seen you in a little while. Uh, and I've started using that. Like the key, though, listeners, is you got to be careful. Make sure you're saying stuff that you, you'd be comfortable if you. It's a kind of a weird function, so you could message everybody <laughs> by mistake. And so just make sure what you're saying is appropriate. And there's no reason why you should be saying anything inappropriate anyway. But <laughs> just be careful when you're messaging. But my my highlight of the week is uh, this show, which is also a wonderful book called The Good Lord Bird, and I think it's on Amazon. And it's a it's originally a James McBride novel that won the National Book Award. And the novel is both amazing, and the show, which stars Ethan Hawke as Brown, is amazing. And actually, I'm a huge Brown, I guess, fan. I think he's such a fascinating historical figure who's been misunderstood. And there were a couple quotes from the show, just the first episode, which is mesmerizing, that uh, made me think of this election. And one of them was uh, both from Brown. Uh, or attributed to Brown. One is we don't ride for revenge, we ride for justice, which made me think about our conversation about court packing, which is, you know, this isn't about sticking it to McConnell as as wonderful as that would feel. This is about uh, justice and and the impact of the court. But then there was this other one that that really made me think about this election, which was be mild with the mild, shrewd with the crafty, confiding to the honest, rough to the ruffian, and a thunderbolt to the liar. But in all this, never be unmindful of your own dignity, which basically means if, if we're in a knife fight, we're in a knife fight and we need to treat it appropriately. We can't pretend like we don't have real enemies who want to do bad things to good people. But at the same time, we can't lose ourselves in this and we need to stay big. And I, and I think we have a great avatar for this in Joe Biden, who I think has fought fiercely in this race but who has never lost his dignity and who stayed big the whole time. And, and he's really been an inspiration. So uh, highly recommend the show. 
it's a wonderful comedic satire as well that I don't have time to go into, but you'll you'll see what I'm talking about when you watch it. On to this week in misinformation. Uh, we've been getting a lot of questions about this Hunter Biden story. And what we're going to do here is instead of giving you the factual background here, I can just point you in the direction of a bunch of different places, Vox being one of them, which I always point people to. They have uh, an explainer from six days ago, which basically walks you through the story. You know, the quick and the dirty of it is a story that's so discredited that the person who originally wrote the article for the New York Post wouldn't even put his name to it. Fox News and the Wall Street Journal news sides both uh, rejected this story. But as these things work, once one person publishes it, Fox News and other conservative outlets feel like they have cover to talk about it. My advice to you is that if this comes up uh, with your family members, sure, send them the factual breakdown or, or have it committed to memory. But the most important thing here to learn is the best defense is offense this late in the game. And the essential point of the story is they're trying to say that Hunter Biden uh, was peddling influence under his father's name. I think it's important to know that this is a absolutely ridiculous attack for this White House to make. And so uh, starting with just Ivanka Trump, right? Uh, we have a whole Trump family who's been peddling influence using the cover of our government to make money, you know, she's overseen hundreds of millions of dollars in federal grants. She represented the U.S. at the G20 summit. She was involved in shaping the 2017 tax cut. She was involved in the search for the World Bank. The New York Times broke a story that basically she's been getting paid in what might be an illegal scheme to cover up to get consulting payments uh, from her father so that he didn't have to pay proper taxes. She's been involved in shady deals from everywhere, from Panama to Central Asia. That's just her, Jason. But we also had a, we were reminded of just how much nepotism exists in this White House and how flawed their view is when our friend Jared Kushner took to the mic a couple of days ago. Let's listen to that and I want to get your reaction to this. And again, one thing we've seen in a lot of the, 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 the black community, which is mostly Democrat, is that uh, President Trump's policies are the policies that can help people break out of the problems that they're complaining about, but he can't want them to be successful more than they want to be successful. We have, uh, we have Joe Biden's son, and then we have Trump's son-in-law. Uh, what should we be talking about here? Well, the Kushner thing is just enraging because it is a view that is held by so many privileged white people uh, who, you know, one of my favorite expressions about this is, you know, born on third, believing you hit a triple. Yep. Uh, what was that, and, Ann Richards, and, I mean, about, uh, about, about uh, w. w, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's just so, it's so apt here. You and I may have a different view on this. Like, I, I agree that the best defense in the close is, is a good offense. But I actually don't think, you know, the whataboutism of this, the going after them wins anybody over. Yeah. Um, although, although you know, I do think my friend Ruben Gallego, uh, who's a congressman from Arizona, and eventually we'll, we'll work it out schedule-wise and we'll have him on this pod, he had a great thread about what he had to do to get into Harvard. He went there at the same time as Kushner, and yes. it's a great comparison. But I actually agree um, with you on the key point, which is I. this is more me getting hyped up about this. Oh, it pisses me off. Yeah, totally. But I don't think it's going to win anybody over. So the whole thing on the Hunter Biden thing, like, so just this morning, a Republican friend of mine who is undecided, he's a big Fox News devotee, and he's texting me a bunch of stuff about Hunter Biden. And and I just said, look, man, I don't know Hunter. I do know Joe, and I know what kind of man Joe is. But put that aside, like, I just told him, I feel bad for Hunter Biden. Like, this is a person who has experienced a ton of trauma in his life. 
And, and as a result, he made some bad choices, some choices that were hurtful to himself. And that happens to a lot of Americans. And in the vast majority of those cases, those people are not famous because their dad aspires to be president. And so if you add in all the shame that goes with trauma to begin with, and then you pile onto it the fact that you're being used as the main tool by people with whom you totally disagree with as their tool to try to stay in power, and you're worried that they'll be successful in using your life and your experience in that way, like that must be a horrible thing to go through. And I just feel I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, you know, I don't know if that convinces anybody, but that's how I feel about this. Totally, whole thing. and and most of the numbers play this out that voters aren't convinced of this. You know, and on your point about being born on third base, you know, it's one thing to be born on third base and understand that and want to give back. And I know plenty of people like that, and so this is an attack on them. And in many ways, a lot of us are born on third base. You know, I'm born in the United I States. Was. Um, you know, my dad was basically born under a tree in India. You know, he he went to school with that didn't even have a, a ceiling. And he made it all the way here uh, and, and has been successful and has worked way harder to get here than I ever did to get the privileges that I had. But when you were born on third base and you are then turning around and saying what he just said about the black community, it's unbelievable. And he was the subject of a book about the corruption of the college admission scandal by Daniel Golden, who pointed out that Kushner not only had a GPA that was nowhere near the Ivy League, not only didn't have an SAT um, that would, but that it was so egregious, and this was before the, the election, um, so before Kushner became even a household name, that like of all the stories he wanted to tell, this one rose to the top. He was like, this was such a an unbelievable scandal that this guy got in. And that basically set him up the rest of his life. And then not only the money that his dad had, the, the money that his father-in-law had. I mean, this is a guy who had every possible advantage. And instead of turning around and using that advantage to help people, uh, he's using it to put them down. Uh, it's unbelievable. Jared Kushner was born into privilege, and then he married into more privilege. And he's protecting I mean, it at every... Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, look, I was born on third. My, my great uncle wrote New York, New York Cabaret in Chicago. And I just feel like one of the things I got to do in my life is you know, live up to the obligation that that, that that bestows upon me to try to help people who aren't born on third. I don't think it means that I'm special. I think it just means like I have a special responsibility. And I honestly have a really hard time stomaching people who were born on third and don't see that. Right. So Jason, we're on to my favorite part of the week, which is where we get to talk about athletic greens. My routine every morning is I, I take athletic greens with some water and then I walk around the block a few times before having my morning coffee and starting my day. But what I love about it most is that with every possible diet fad or new study that comes out about the new nutrient that you need, it's hard to keep up. And you know, a lot of people wind up ordering tons of supplements, tons of vitamins, and also tweaking their diet all the time to try to keep up with the evolving science. But if you take Athletic Greens, you don't need to worry about any of that because it has many as 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. Uh, and you're just going to be hard pressed to find anything out there that has all of that. 
Athletic Greens invests in its ingredients so that you can invest in your health. So if you're looking to upgrade your multivitamin or take one nutritional formula that's going to help cover your daily nutritional basis, then you want to consider Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens makes getting as much high-quality nutrition as possible incredibly easy without the need to buy multiple products. Make an investment in your health today and try the ultimate all-in-one wellness bundle and support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com majority. You'll receive up to a year's supply of liquid vitamin D for free with your first purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash majority. When we relaunched this podcast, one of the things we did is Ravi and I uh, had a brainstorm session with the folks at Wonder Media about what sponsors we might want to proactively reach out to about possibly you know supporting the show. And one of the ones I mentioned was BetterHelp because I want to take any opportunity to evangelize about the importance of focusing on your mental health. And this is clearly a product that does that. So look, it, it's something I've made very public is that mental health treatment therapy has made an enormous difference in my life. And, and it, at one point, I would argue saved my life. And so this is something we take really seriously. And BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Uh, connect in a safe and private online environment. It's really convenient. And you could start communicating in under 24 hours. Uh, and what I really love about this is it's in the era of COVID. Um, you don't have to show up to an office. But also, depending on where you are, we got majority uh, 54 listeners who are in rural areas where it takes quite a while to find somebody and you have limited options. This dramatically expands your options and means you don't have to hop in a car and drive a long distance to get there. Uh, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash M54. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash M54. Let's move on to unsolicited campaign advice. This is our last shot to give some advice to people out in the field. Jason, do you have anything for us? I do. And it's a little bit in, in keeping with what we said at the top of the show. And this is for candidates and staff and activists. Enjoy the next five days. Like it sometimes felt like we would not make it here, but we have. And we're on the precipice of doing really big things. And if we win this thing big, we're going to have a lot of internal fights. I mean, this right here is likely the most united that our side of the aisle is going to be for a long time because we're all a part of something. I mean, it's our coalition is bigger than our side of the aisle right now. So just like you were saying a minute ago, enjoy that and soak it in. And then my other piece of advice here is whether you're a candidate, staff, activist, just you know, tangentially involved, talk to your kids about what's going on right now if they're old enough to understand it. Make sure they remember this moment in history because they're they're living it right now. Yeah, and maybe help them shape some memories about it because this is the kind of thing that's going to be written about uh, in the history books for sure and is going to be prominent. And if the outcome is what we think it is, it'll be something we look back on with pride. And so the more you could involve as many people in your family and your circles as possible, the better. I want to give out some awards, but I want to end on a positive note, Jason. So what I wanted to do is just point to one or two examples of people out on the trail closing strong. And one person we haven't talked about yet because of you know so many other topics that have occurred over the past few weeks is the former president who's been out making a strong case for Biden. Uh, he went down to Florida a few days ago, and here's what he had to say. With Joe and Kamala at the helm, you won't have to think about them every single day. 
you'll be able to go about your lives knowing that the president's not going to suggest injecting bleach or retweet conspiracy theories about secret cabals running the world. That's not normal behavior, Florida. You wouldn't tolerate it from a coworker. You wouldn't tolerate it from a high school principal. You wouldn't tolerate it from a coach. You wouldn't tolerate it from a family member. So Jason, call me biased, but I find that a pretty persuasive argument. Yeah, look, I mean, we got to name this award and uh, I'm going to take the initiative and shout out to Kansas City Royals fans uh, of uh, of the 2015 World Series team. I'm going to name this the, the Wade Davis Closer Award. I think, and I, I had a couple of years ago, some conversations with President Obama, but I don't think this is shocking when I say he's been aghast, right? Like, and I think he's unloading. And I think what you're hearing is somebody who's like, I'm flabbergasted by all this, just like all of you are. How about we not be flabbergasted all the time? I think it's a great argument. I actually, in thinking about this, think this is as powerful or more powerful to a lot of people as, as the COVID closing. And I think the combination of what Biden is saying uh, about COVID and what the president is saying just about the exhaustion of the past few years, the point about the the coworkers is nearly identical to the conversation I had with my dad on Sunday. So I sat down with my father, who, as listeners will know at this point, is a Trump supporter. And this was my closing argument to him. Now, it, it didn't work. But I said to him, would you want somebody like Trump bringing home Natalie, like my sister, like, uh, you know, like as a boyfriend or a husband? Of course not. So why are we tolerating this kind of behavior from the most important leader in our country? You know, it didn't work, but I do think this is 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 the argument that that will work on the most people who are just sick of it all. Well, because your dad is a Trump supporter, he's not like a squishy Trump yeah, supporter. He's, a fan. he's not an independent. Yeah, he's a fan. Yeah, he's, a fan. Yeah. he's not persuadable. And what I think is really interesting about this is President Obama here is not like. Joe Biden's talking, you know, about COVID. He's talking as someone who's hopefully about to be the president. President Obama is talking as what he is, which is he's a citizen right now. And so that's why he is channeling what we're all feeling, a certain helplessness and exhaustion. And and especially in his case, like he has, because he's been trying to honor traditions and, and be respectful of the office, he's had to be very quiet the last few years. And he is, I'm sure, quite exhausted, just like everybody else. Yeah, this reminds me of a, of something from the, the Daily on Monday. There was an episode about the Cleveland suburbs, and there was this mother who said, you know, I just want to be able to put the TV on and have the president talk without being worried about what my kids are going to hear. It's a great standard. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask, but hopefully we'll get there. I think... This is a great closing argument, and I think that the other really great closing argument that we all have to stick with that the Biden campaign is on is just unity, unity, unity. And that means that if we win big on Tuesday uh, or in the days after, we have to stay on the unity message. You know, you said something in our bonus pod earlier this week, which I would recommend everybody go and listen to. I think it's one of the best episodes we've done. It's a conversation with Chris Taylor, who's a former Republican congressional candidate uh, who was supporting Trump in that primary. He's now, you know, a Biden, a Biden supporter, and it's his whole personal story. But you said something really important when he was talking about how he's considering becoming a Democrat. You said, well, whether you do or not, I don't want us to uh, miss the opportunity to invite you into being a productive part of what happens in the country if, if we win. 
And I think we got to do that. Everybody, you know, 100%. in your circles, like in, invite people in rather than making them feel like they are excluded. Do not do like what the Senate Judiciary Committee did this week. They had a tweet announcing Barrett's confirmation and in the same tweet, wishing Hillary Clinton a happy birthday, like spiking the ball and saying, happy birthday, Hillary Clinton. We just replaced RBG with this super, you know, right wing conservative woman. Let's never be like them. Let's do what Joe Biden is doing and seek to govern the entire country. I, I'm so glad you brought this up, but we want to show a courtesy and respect to the other side that I know that we didn't always receive back. Uh, I think a lot about, you know, my family legacy with Gandhi, you know, somebody who led a movement that was premised on showing humanity to uh, what were mortal enemies there. And I, I think about the kind of discipline that it's going to require us to restore uh, the kind of unity that you're talking about in this country. And, and it starts with all of us, like no, no, you know, no taunting, no castigating uh, of, of the other side. And I think like we could have probably a little fun at the president's expense. I'm sure that that's unavoidable, but I wouldn't, unavoidable. but I wouldn't, I wouldn't transfer that to his supporters or even like weak and, you know, mild voters, especially for him, you know, as frustrating it is, as it is that we didn't, no matter what the outcome is that we won't get a hundred percent, of the American electorate, we really need to model good behavior here. This week's Midlife Crisis Corner is brought to you by Athletic Greens, which is the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance, developed with the best in mind and part of the daily regiment of thousands of high performers worldwide. What do you have for us this week, Jason? Well, those who follow me on Instagram will know that I am really big into, you know, fitness and nutrition as, as are you, but I'm, I'm really into this, uh, thing where I do, I do a cheat meal and I, and I try and have my cheat meals be spaced out as far as possible. And I had my last cheat meal on October 2nd and I publicly declared, I'm going to try and go the longest I've ever gone. I'm going to try and go until election day before my next cheat meal. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm looking forward to it. So here's, here's my election day plan. I'm going to, I'm thinking about I'm doing so the Murph. It's about gonna... this. Yeah. Make sure you put this on Instagram, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh, I will. I will. Don't worry. I, it's going to be nice. The forecast currently says in Kansas city on Tuesday, it's going to be nice. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do a Murph, uh, and run outside so that I can really feel better about everything I'm going to eat. Cause it's gonna be a lot. And then I'm going to do my thing where I, I ring the bell. I, I, my Taco Bell reward system, where I reward myself for a physical feat by going to Taco Bell. And then I'm thinking I'm going to do something that I haven't done in about uh, eight months, which is I'm going to have two cheat meals in the same day. Oh yeah. I'm thinking very seriously about barbecue for that that uh, meal in the evening. And then here's the thing. I have not had a drink of alcohol since December, uh, mostly just in solidarity with Diana because she's been pregnant for most of that time. But you know now like we can do that. So I have three beers ready. If we, you know, when the election gets called, if we find out that we won the presidency, I mean, I have a Corona. It's very basic, but it's my favorite beer. Uh, then when Biden gives the speech uh, and or if Trump actually concedes, we don't know about that. Uh, I, I got a Boulevard, which is a Kansas City beer. And then if any point in there uh, we win Texas, uh, then the order could change because then I'm going to have a Shiner ready. So my point is we're doing a pod that night you know, or, or, or the next morning, I think probably that night we're planning. Are you going to be like 10 points heavier that I, night? I think, <laughs> look, I'm a lightweight anyway, and I haven't had a drink of alcohol in what, 11 months. So, um, yeah, I'm, 
it's going to be a challenge, but I'm, I'm ready for oh, it. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Well, I'm going to just stay on the cheat meal point then because I'm a huge fan of cheat meals. If you, if you follow The Rock on Instagram, he certainly posts about them too. And let me make a case, listeners, for, for those of you uh, who don't do this. And it could be once a week. It could be once every two weeks. It could be you know spaced out or whatever. I do cheat days. So usually one day a week. It's usually Saturday. We call it fatter day. Uh, and the benefit of the cheat the cheat meal is if you're showing discipline the rest of the time is that you get the psychological benefit of it all week as you think about it. Like you plan for it, you'll like pass some place that's like really awesome that you can't eat that day, but you'll kind of bank it in your head. You're like, you know what? I can't wait till Saturday when I can go to Van Leeuwen and get some, you know, vegan ice cream or something. And you just plan it out in the way that you plan out a vacation that's a couple weeks away. And uh, I think that gives you like a little bit of uh, burst of positivity throughout the week. And so when it comes, it's just, you've been imagining it for so long. It's just so much more wonderful. And there's also like a little community of cheat meal enthusiasts that you could tag on Instagram and, and people really do some heinous things out there. It's quite fun. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, it works for me. As we round this out, we have to grab an oar. And this is probably the most important grabinor we have, Jason. What do we have uh, for our listeners? Do not assume that anybody you know is definitely voting. Like, don't assume that just because they uh, talk with you about politics, they watch the news, and, you know, they're a responsible person, that they definitely have a plan to vote. Don't make that assumption. You have to ask them to vote. You have to make sure that everybody in your life understands that like you're watching, that they're accountable to someone. Do it in a very friendly way by just being like, hey, uh, here's how I voted or I'm going to vote. Like, what's your plan? Start text chains with large groups of your friends so that everybody feels the social pressure to jump in and do it. Uh, don't assume that anybody you know is definitely voting. As our friend Don Calloway said several episodes ago, the couch is always on the ballot. Don't let people choose the couch. All right, everybody, a few announcements here that are really important. Ravi and I want everybody to know that we're not stopping this podcast after the election. I mean, this is not like a to get you prepared for the election exclusively pod. First of all, as I mentioned, we're going to do an election night pod. And on top of that, like we have a whole plan for what happens with Majority 54 after this election, you know, no matter what the outcome is. So please continue to tune in and please continue to tell your friends about it. In fact, do us a favor and share this episode right now with as many of your friends as possible. Take this episode, which I think is particularly valuable in this home stretch, text it to your friends, post it to social media and tag your friends. Do it because I think more people uh, listening to this will be very beneficial to them. Do it as a favor to them, but honestly do it as a favor to us because you know we want to expand this audience as well. And if you want to tag us in the process, you know, we would love to see that. We'll like it. And in as many cases as possible, we'll respond to it and thank you publicly. So, so please spread the word. And then also, we want to continue to make sure that we're as helpful to all of you as possible. So leave us a voicemail letting us know what you want help talking about. Uh, we may even play it on the air and respond. That voicemail again is 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. All right, I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram is where you find most of the premium cheat meal content. Uh, Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. 
Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music is provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.